Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 62, we discuss our thoughts on Fox's World Cup TV schedule why German soccer fans hate Mondays, how Turner Sports is trying to hire a basketball star for their Champions League coverage, as well as the latest news about new soccer documentaries coming our way. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Uh, for for people who haven't uh, listened to the podcast before, what we do is take a deep dive into the soccer media landscape. So we talk about everything from commentators, uh, TV rights, uh, streaming, uh, the best way to watch the sports. A lot of topics that are not covered by anyone else. So rather than just talk about the football, which we do from time to time, uh, we definitely focus on uh, how to watch it and uh, how to make it as easy as possible to, to watch uh, the beautiful game. So, Kartik, uh, let me have you start off with uh, what you've been watch- watching this past week. Yeah, and I'll admit I didn't watch a whole lot of football. Probably less football than I've watched any weekend uh, where there's been major European club matches in, in years, uh, largely because of the school shooting, which took place about two miles from me, or uh, two, two to three miles from me at Water Creek Stone and Douglas High School. Had a number of vigils, had a number of uh, 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 memorial services, town meeting type events they attend or to watch. And, uh, in addition to that, just didn't, uh, didn't feel, <laughs> feel like watching a whole lot of football, uh, you know, related to that. Right. I mean, it's just been a, a difficult weekend emotionally, a difficult week emotionally for everyone in my neck of the woods. But, um, I did watch the Wolfsburg Bayern game and it was just so typical of so many Bundesliga games. The last few seasons where the opposition to Bayern jumps out to a lead. They have chances to extend that league. They don't take them, and Bayern beats them at the end. It was uh, just very, very typical of those sorts of uh, matches that we've seen. And also, One, and, and also typical of uh, Robin uh, winning a penalty. Yeah, yeah, right. Whether Arjen Robin has historically, you go back and forth on him, right? Is he winning a penalty because he's great with that with that move he has uh, to his left foot? Uh, which fools defenders, or is he winning a penalty also because he likes to dive and feign injury? Mm-hmm. He not only dives. The thing I, I, that bothers me about Arjen Robin and has for years is there are players who dive, and we talk about divers. 
Robin will dive and feign injury. And because he's been an injury-prone player, he didn't do that in this instance. But I'm just uh, – now you've give, given me an opportunity to jump on my soapbox. Um, it, 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 it makes it so much more believable to sell a call because he's been an injury-prone player. So um, that's something that will always mar Arian Robin's brilliance for me, uh, unfortunately, as yeah. a player. It's almost, um, he's almost taking it to an art form. You mean yeah. it's not just the dive; it's just the theatrics of it. And and you mean and you feel for him. You're like, oh my gosh, he looks injured. He looks really bad. Maybe that's the end of his career. And up he pops, and uh, Lewandowski, uh, you mean, converts the penalty and Bayern wins. I mean, it, yeah. it's the same story all over again. Right, and it's uh, something that the officials in the Bundesliga seem to have fallen for time and time again. And officials at the international level. I mean, he did this for the Dutch. Most famously, I think, in that 2010 World Cup run uh, under uh, Bert van Marwijk, where they got to the uh, to the final and lost to Spain. But he was uh, play-acting the entire... Uh, Entire tournament. Well, actually, 2014 against Mexico also. Yep. So it's just it's just a recurring pattern, and officials have bought it. Um, so watch watch that game. But I spent this weekend watching documentaries. So I went. So when I say I didn't watch football, I meant live football. I live European club football. The Netflix documentary on Juventus uh, first team, as it's called, was released Friday evening here in the United States. So I binged on that this weekend. Watched the whole series. I liked it, uh, but in terms of um, in terms of watching it, here's some advice if you're a, a hardcore football fan. Episode one is like a remedial course on what uh, why European football is so big, uh, why it matters, uh, why Ser- what Serie A is, what um, uh, what Juventus is, how big Juventus is. It, it, it's it's uh, clearly episode one was designed. For the American sporting audience, the narrator of the series is American and, and the terminology is all American. In fact, at one point, Juventus was called a franchise, which just made me cringe. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, but it was all just kind of these Americanisms to paint the picture for a largely American audience why Juventus is a big deal. Okay. If you're a football fan of any kind, you know Juventus is a big deal. You, don't, you didn't really need episode one. But the rest of the series, there were only three parts, but two and three were outstanding. Uh, probably better than the documentaries we've seen about West Ham, Watford, et cetera, on NBC, the, the, the goal hanger films, uh, productions by, uh, by Gary Lineker, maybe slightly better than those, uh, definitely better than the Liverpool fly on the wall series, uh, being Liverpool that was uh, screened on Fox sports here in the U S uh, about five years ago. Now, I think more than five years ago, actually, I think that was 2012, so it was, it was good. It's worthwhile. But my, my advice is to skip through episode one or, or fast or just fast forward through it, get certain parts or you're into, into the mode. So then you can binge on two and three back to back consecutively. A lot of uh, Gigi Buffon versus Wojciech Chesney type talk in, in episodes two and three. That makes sense. It's been a big underlying theme of Juventus this season as, as Chesney has pushed, uh, pushed Buffon, the legend. Uh, in terms of that number one shirt. So uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. But again, episodes two and three. I also spent the weekend, once again, uh, binging, because we have some new episodes now, or newer episodes, I should say, on the Salford City documentary. Going back to the very first episode, which is from the summer of 2014 and, and early fall, when the um, the five class of 92 legends 
basically everybody but David Beckham. David Beckham has bigger ambitions as far as, or, you know, different and, ambitions, I should right. say, as far as the club. And, and, and for the listeners who don't know, it's, it's the club that's uh, on the suburbs of Manchester in Salford. Uh, that's owned by uh, co-owned by Skulls, Gigs, uh, the Neville Brothers, and I think that's it, right? Or um, Nicky Butts. Uh, Nicky Butts. Oh yeah, yeah. I always forget about Nicky Butts. So the five of them, the five of them, obviously co-owned the club. They co-owned a hundred percent of the club when the series started, but then uh, the Neville Brothers obviously knew Peter Lim, who um, they uh, then sold half the club to, and. You know, subsequently, both Neville brothers worked for Peter Lim. Uh, this other club, Valencia, much bigger club, obviously. Salford City, by the way, one interesting angle about it that we forget from the media world is so Phil and Gary Neville are both uh, at the club. They're both um, – um, it's funny. They, they're the first ever game under this ownership was against Bury. I f- – um, I, I was disappointed the documentary didn't mention the reason they were able to schedule Burry in a friendly was because B- the club secretary for Burry is actually Gary Phil Devil's mother. That wasn't mentioned. Uh, but otherwise, the documentary is so good, so fantastic. And it, it kind of reinforces to you a couple of things. How, um, how um, difficult it is to run a lower division team in England. And then for someone like me who has been around the lower divisions in the United States, how still more um, opportunity and uh, and easy it is to attract fans at the lower division level in England or interest because you have promotion and relegation and how there's still more money flowing into those lower divisions and the amateur levels um, or, or semi-professional levels because they do pay for some players uh, at, 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 uh, in England. So the point I was going to make about the media, the BBC moved to Salford very controversially a few years ago from London. And you had a bunch of BBC journalists saying, hey, they don't want to move to the north. There's this north-south place in England, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it. Um, what was interesting is Phil Neville is a match that they punted at the time when, when, when the documentary starts, when they buy the club. Gary Neville, of course, is on Sky. So they're both trying to attend as much Salford City matches and have as many meetings with club personnel as they can, but Gary has got this long commute to London. He has to make for Sky uh, constantly in the first few months of this uh, of their ownership of Sal- of uh, Salford City. Phil, also a media pundit, just has to go around the corner. It, it's it's really uh, re- reinforces to you the paradox of that, and now how different it is for the culture of the BBC actually being at Salford versus um, the uh, Sky in. Uh, in, in London. So that, that was a, a neat thing from a media angle, but I highly recommend the documentaries. They're on Netflix. Uh, so, so, on. So, so both, so both, uh, so both, both the Juventus documentary and uh, the South of city documentary, both on Netflix. The one question right. Kartik I have about the Juventus documentary is I, I've added it to my list. So I'm, I'm definitely going to watch it, but how current is it? It runs through um, the, well, we didn't have a winter break this year in, in, uh, in, uh, out, but it runs generally through that, through okay. like the end of December, early January. So it's pretty current, uh, but they're in an epic title race, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I hope I don't know what the what Netflix's plans are. Are they going to make subsequent documentaries taking us through the rest of the season? They're they're in a neck and neck race with with Napoli, and they did such a good job in this documentary. Uh, playing up the north-south divide, which also exists in Italy, it's it's reversed, right? The north, the north is like the south in England, right? The north of Italy and the south of Italy is like the north in England. But um, they they played it up with the Lazio and Napoli matches. They talked about 
uh, the the Bees. They talked about Tor- Torino. They talked about uh, the the stakes of, of having won all these Scudettos in a row. They talk about uh, the importance of Europe to Juventus and uh, how that is what Allegri and the season is going to be judged on. It would be so inconclusive if they don't have the two leg tie against Spurs. They don't have uh, the, the 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 title fight with Napoli, which at this point we have to believe is going to go down to the wire. Uh, it. it it was so well done, episodes two and three in particular, as I said. Really enjoyable to watch. One of the best football documentaries, a fly-on-the-wall type documentaries that, that I've seen. But if, uh, if, it, if it leaves off in the middle of the season, it, it, um, from a historical context, a few years from now, we're just going to look back on it and say, eh, that was a waste. Now, speaking of documentaries, Kartik, uh, one fascinating documentary that's just continuing to unravel is the one with Manchester City, which is going to be on Amazon. And, and Manchester City and Amazon, Amazon's filming the entire season, the 2017-18 season. And the Wigan Man City game, I'm sure, is going to be on there. There's going to be some interesting footage on that one, I, I hope. Yeah, obviously, Pep, um, behavior, um, behavior at halftime was... Uh, uh, questionable uh, going into the dressing room after Fabian Delft got sent off for what I thought was a clear red card offense. Although again, the referee, the, this is, I think that the anger about this from Man City fans in defense of them uh, is that the referee pulled out a yellow first and then uh, switched to red. But I thought I, I think most people would agree it was a clear red card challenge. Won't have Delft now for the next three matches domestically for Manchester City, which are Arsenal in the Cup final. League Cup final, which is on ESPN for us in the United States, Arsenal in the Premier League, and then Chelsea in the Premier League. Wrong time to get suspended, obviously, if you're Fabian Dell, a, a player who's worked so hard to become a, a first choice player. Uh, Salah Guardiola now is going to find himself out of the team and maybe uh, for three matches at least, and maybe uh, longer term than that, because I don't think Guardiola uh, loved what he did. Uh, now, moving on. They're, at the end of the match, um, Fox, they didn't focus on this because I guess, again, they, they don't put a whole lot of, um, of, of effort into broadcasting the FA Cup. And uh, in addition, in defense of Fox, the FA Cup is not like the Premier League. You don't find things out right away. There are not as many television cameras. There aren't as many uh, angles. Although this was a Monday night game. So I think maybe there was more. Um, they might have gotten word of it sooner. But no, no discussion really at the end of the match of, uh, of, uh, of the implications of the pitch invasion. Now, there was a pitch invasion, which I think is very natural when you beat a, uh, a bigger side and you're a lower division side, which uh, – and also keep in mind there's a geographic closeness between Wigan and Manchester. Wigan is in greater Manchester. Now, maybe Wigan supporters should expect to beat Manchester City the way that they've been uh, – they've now eliminated them from three of the last six FA Cups which is a, um, a great statistic. And I'll tell you as a Manchester City supporter, when Wigan was in the Premier League, even though Manchester City generally beat them, the games were much more labored and difficult than uh, they had been, than, than they were against similar opposition in the Premier League. Uh, generally, Manchester City would need late goals to win or, or wear Wigan down. And there had been games where, particularly under Roberto Martinez, where Wigan controlled possession and had better chances early. Um, so it's a bit of a bogey team, but still a uh, bigger team. So they beat them. They get excited. Uh, I don't know what Cunaguero is doing. Uh, I think it is very disappointing that the media in Britain 
and some of the pundits who cover the Premier League in the United States just have decided, you know what, the player is within his rights to do this to a fan. I think the should have been suspended and suspended for a long time because uh, pitch invasions are a natural part of football. I don't know why a player who makes multi-million pounds, uh, you know, multi-million uh, pounds, of, uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds a week, actually, in Aguero's case, he's allowed to react to a fan saying something very, a very natural obscenity. Um, you know, you could say it's player safety because they're on the pitch. And okay, so maybe Wiggins, uh, Marshall need to police things better. But I, I don't like a player uh, being able to act violently towards a fan who's celebrating a great victory. And it's just acting in the emotion, saying something that I think very naturally uh, supporters say to opposing yeah, players. But, but, but Kartik, we don't know what he said ex- exactly. I mean, it, and it, lo- it looked like there was definitely contact uh, before that. I mean, kind of whether it's been pushing. I mean, I, I mean, my thing is that um, th- this is more of a civil matter. This is more of a police matter than, a, than an FA matter. Yet, yes, I agree that uh, Aguero shouldn't have done that, but um, I, I don't, I, that's so hard to regulate. I'm sure the referee didn't see it either. Yeah, I'm sure about that. And and again, I guess maybe it's a player, it's a Wigan uh, safety issue at their pitch. But uh, Aguero, you're a professional. You just need to walk away. You don't need to get uh, charged up in the emotion of the of the moment. Um, now, in terms of the, the, the um, implications of this result, well, Wigan once again has eliminated Manchester City. Wigan once again is going on a long cup run, which uh, has hurt them in the past. They got relegated the year they won the FA Cup. They... Um, did not get promoted back to the Premier League the year they got to the semifinal of the FA Cup the following year uh, when uh, they should have won that semifinal match. Federici, who was their goalkeeper, made a horrible error uh, against Arsenal in the semifinal. Uh, and uh, otherwise, uh, and so it went to penalty kicks and they lost, if I remember correctly. But um, they uh, they didn't get promoted and they, they, they kind of ran out of gas in the playoff. And then now they're pushing for promotion. They're in League One now. Uh, having been in the championship last year and been relegated, pushing for promotion back. And I just hope this cup run doesn't uh, take too much away from them. I'd like to see them back in the championship. Uh, they're going to face Southampton next, a, a, a club that uh, also uh, may, maybe even more so uh, might, might be suffering from this cup run as they have not been able to replicate their FA Cup form in the league. Um, so then Champions League midweek had Chelsea uh, Chelsea versus um Barca on on it was a uh, a game which I thought Chelsea did some very very nice things were able to open uh, um, Barcelona up on the counter uh, on a uh, unfortunately that mistake by Christensen led to Messi getting a goal and a one one draw but once again Chelsea gets a result against Barcelona I believe that's eight straight meetings between the clubs where Chelsea has not uh, where excuse me Barcelona has not won uh, now there was obviously the two thousand nine controversial Hendrik Overbu uh, semifinal in the Champions League, but Chelsea didn't uh, lose either leg of that semifinal. They were both draws. Barcelona went went through on away goals. Um, in this tie, though, I guess the thing that was so re- refreshing to see is that Chelsea, who has been in a funk, came out of that funk, played some very nice, attractive football, were able, even when they were on the back foot, to counter quickly uh, in this formation, which has been much maligned by Mar- uh, by Conte, where he doesn't play with Morata or Giroud, but he plays with Hazard as a number nine and goes with both Pedro and Willian on, on, on the wings. Next is Manchester United, who we saw on Wednesday. Uh, Jose Mourinho got his um, 
uh, achieved his goal, a nil-nil draw, which is what he's going to try and do against Chelsea also. Uh, there was uh, absolutely no effort uh, to play football by Man United, and it was uh, it was quite frankly difficult to watch. I watched this in, in my office and uh, actually took, took the computer out by the television in the conference room to watch this match and uh, re- regretted doing it. What was um, interesting to me, and this is uh, an, uh, a worthy topic of discussion, Chris, in general, Fox, they seem to be putting more effort into actually covering and analyzing the Champions League, whether you like the way they're covering it or not. That's a, that's a subject for another time. But more resources and more thought from their analysts, from their studio analysts like uh, Alexi Lalas and from their uh, co-commentators like Tony Miola and Stu Holden and, and, and then the commentators, obviously, and JP uh, Del Camera and um, John Strong. Then they have in years, uh, maybe the first few years they had the rights, they, they, they put a lot of effort into it. And that was when uh, I think they saw Christian Miles hosting, right? And it was Eric Winalda as the studio analyst. And uh, Bobby McMahon may have still been around, uh, right, in, at Fox in those days. So this is the most effort they've actually, their, their personnel, Fox personnel itself, on-air personalities, have put into covering the Champions League in the nine years or since the first couple of years of the, of the nine years that they've shown this property yet it's as they as the property is departing and moving to Turner sports, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, how do you explain that? I, I don't see it. Kartik uh, from, from, I mean, I, I'm watching every Champions League, well, not every Champions League game, but almost every Champions League game, but all, all the pregame. Um, but to me, it's still, it's decent. It's 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 not fantastic. It's I always walk away thinking, okay, what did I learn from this? It was it some insight or observations or, or something tactical or anything of substance, and I always walk away with nothing. It, it's always interesting what they're talking about in terms of just you mean talking about you mean Paul Pogba not starting and talking about that for a few minutes. But I'm not walking away with any. Now, now it's better than it used to be. But I'm still not impressed. Um, I don't know. That, that, that's me. And again, the, the listeners might might disagree and might think that it's good coverage. I think for the most part, most people are tuning out. Most people aren't watching the pre-match. Oh, oh I don't and think it's good right coverage in, at all. The game. Yeah, I don't want to get. I don't want to confuse people here. I, I don't think it's good coverage at all. I think I'm almost positive Turner will do better. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But it is better than Fox. Look, I I think. Last year on this show, Chris, I said I don't even bother to watch Champions League on Fox, right? I'll turn on at 2.45 if I'm going to watch the match, and I'll turn off right at full time. This, These last two match days – oh, no, it's not two match days. It's really one match day, right? The first legs of the round of 16, I've gotten some interesting nuggets out of Lawless. Not much out of Barton. Okay, Barton is still – very limited in, in his ability to analyze things. Gotten some interesting nuggets out of Lawless, and I think the effort has been there from Miola and Holden. Uh, Strong, John Strong is always good, but the effort has been there from Miola and Holden to understand and analyze the matches in a way that maybe there hasn't been for Fox personnel when they've done these uh, type of matches before. Now, that having been said, uh, I there's still a lot missing. I, I would completely agree yeah. with that. There's still a lot missing. And uh, this uh, uh, Grant Wall segment now, and it's not w- Grant Wall's fault. He's just responding to the market or where the market's gone. This Grant Wall segment has become a uh, transfer gossip talk in the middle of February. The transfer window is closed. But unfortunately, this is the 
the way soccer media, it's not about, again, it's not about Grant Wall. It's not about Fox. This is the way, Chris, the entire soccer landscape, soccer media is going, football media in Europe as well, where you, you, you open uh, a football website in the middle of February and it's all about transfer stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't want that on the Champions League pregame show. To right. be honest with you, well, it doesn't have to be that way though, Kartik. If if Fox and and Grant and, and I'm not sure how much Grant drives the narrative uh, or the stories, or if it's Fox telling Grant what what to uh, report on, but they don't have to go the transfer route. But that's the thing. At the end of the day, is that's the that, that that's where the eyeballs are. That's where the interest is. That's where people will will listen in rather than tune out. Um, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. Fox would have to wait and see and look at the t- the numbers for the pre-match and say, okay, well, are numbers up or down? But it's so hard to tell because there's so many different variables and it depends who's playing that day. Uh, it, it's challenging. But but to me, I would expect Fox to look at look at some other stories and and not Major League Soccer, not U.S. Soccer, but so- stories from around the world that are particular to that. But it, it's difficult. The easy, the easy route is go transfer stories and talk about Pogba rumors and, you know, uh, Alexis Sanchez rumors and things, things like that. Rockets, that's another one they brought up, right? Yeah. I, I would say, though, too, that, that I've been listening to Stu Holden more in his analysis and when he's commentating games. Um, I haven't had a chance to listen to JP and Tony Miller as much just because they've been doing the secondary games. And I've had that on, but I'm usually listening more intently to the FS1 games. With Stuart Holden, it's interesting. I think I, I don't know if this is on purpose or if this is just by him looking up to Taylor Twellman, but he seems to be uh, kind of a style is very imitating a lot of Taylor Twellman's style. So I don't know if that's again just rubbing off from listening to him a lot uh, or, or not. But that's what I picked up on uh, this week was just that. He's getting more comfortable. He's getting better. Um, and, and I think the, the comfort level is between John Strong and Stuart Holden. I think they're a good team together. Um, but Stuart Holden, to me, reminds me of a lot of Taylor Twelman. For example, free kicks. When a free kick happens, uh, Stuart Holden's predicting what's going to happen. He's like, okay, you know, Lukaku's going to take this kick. I, I think he's going to kick it uh, towards the top corner and this see what happens. And of course, the ball hits the wall. But th- those are the types of things that Taylor Twelman's very, uh, very renowned for is kind of calling the play ahead of time. Uh, and when it comes off, it, he looks great. When it doesn't, uh, uh, not so much. But uh, yeah, it's... Um, I don't know. I will have to wait and see what Turner does. I mean, maybe this, maybe Fox's is, uh, coverage is going is better than what uh, Turner will be. But we'll have to wait and see. Narcotic. Uh, I had. A, I mean, for for you, I, I know you kind of uh, jumped into documentaries this past week a lot. Uh, for me, I escaped from the, all the Parkland shooting uh, incidents and kind of tragedy and stories uh, really by watching probably more football this weekend than I've ever done probably this whole entire year. Uh, it started on Saturday with the FA Cup. I watched uh, Sheffield Wednesday against Swansea in a full-blooded uh, FA Cup account- encounter. Uh, watched Ibar against uh, Barcelona. Uh, Huddersfield against Manchester United. And uh, here we go again with VAR. I mean, the commentator... The, the, the thing with VAR, I think, that I found out now, just from watching the last well, few months of, of VAR intently, is it's the commentators that, that the ones that are creating the confusion. Uh, there's less confusion on the field, it seems, but the commentators are the ones that, that are getting us confused. Uh, for example, in this Huddersfield Man United game with the Juan Th- the Mata uh, offside call, 
it was Gary Taphouse, the commentator, that said, yeah, that was onside. There's no, that, that's definitely a clear goal. There's no way that the referees can uh, overturn this one. And then it goes to VAR, and the VAR says, okay, he was, he was offside. Um, so to me, the confusion, I mean, again, this could be partly communication. There needs to be better communication between the referees, um, whether they're mic'd up or, or whether it's the, the VAR crew with the commentators. But that's what I've found this past few months is it's the commentators that are causing the confusion, getting us all upset, and then, and then we go and, and look at see, to see what happened. In this one, I mean, we can talk for an hour about this one. I thought it was interesting. Actually, it was a good thing that Fox had Dr. Joe on. Uh, he came on, and his analysis was that it was a few millimeters or maybe one millimeter offside. Um, now, that didn't end the debate at all. And, of course, there's the squiggly lines from the VAR crew in England that caused more confusion. But ultimately, was it the correct decision or not? Marginally, yes, but if you're going to go down to that degree of Ian, a margin of error, where there's no margin of error, I, I think it's 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 I, I don't like it. I'd rather it be. You mean I think the rules need to be changed. Really, if if you mean whether there's needs to be space between the two players, but when it comes down to millimeters, you mean probably it's 50-50. VAR's not going to get it right all the time and they're probably going to get it wrong a, a part of the time too. Um, but anyway, I, I think the commentators are partly to blame in this one in, in terms of creating the confusion. I did watch uh, Genoa against Inter Milan. I uh, watched uh, actually more Serie A this weekend than I've seen in a long time. I also watched Napoli against uh, SPAL and uh, I think that was on the Sunday morning. And this to me is a perfect example of how Serie A is struggling struggling uh, from TV viewership. And this game I watched, uh, you got Napoli, top of the table in Serie A, playing in front of a stadium with a track around it, a huge bowl. Uh, anyone that's watched uh, Napoli at home knows this. But then also all the empty seats, all you see is empty seats around the entire stadium. And from a TV viewing perspective, it's a complete turnoff. There's no atmosphere. And what had happened, I think, on the Sunday was that uh, it had rained a lot. So the people from the, the bottom uh, part of the bowl, kind of the bottom uh, seats and move to the top. So from a TV perspective, I mean, it's just a horrible view. You just see I mean, empty seats. And that's the thing that too, I think part of it, part of the issue that with Serie A is the stadiums. I mean, without any shadow of a doubt, they need to upgrade these stadiums so they have better stadiums that have the fans closer to the pitch. Um, and that's something too. So after watching Napoli against uh, SPAL, I watched uh, Augsburg against Stuttgart from the Bundesliga. And uh, what a change it was. It was instantly what a difference. So I went from the empty seats and lack of atmosphere at Napoli. You mean, uh, well, that's just, uh, just the extreme extremes in terms of supporter culture in Europe, though, right? In major European leagues, it's going from Italy to Germany in yeah. general. Yeah, it, it shouldn't be that much of a difference, though, but it, it is. And, and so the Augsburg game, a loud atmosphere, all the seats were filled, the, flat, the fans are closer to the pitch, there's better TV production, more close-ups, and, uh, and also the VAR in Bundesliga. I've come to the realization that the, the, the VAR in Bundesliga, while not perfect, is the best one out there right now. It's, it's handled more professionally. There's a lot more communication on screen graphics where you see the, the crew in the VAR studio and, and you've got the I mean, video review graphic on the screen. 
So you know what's happening uh, with the FA and the League Cup. It's been, okay, are they going to VAR? What's happening? It's a lot of uh, confusion there. But uh, anyway, Augsburg against Stuttgart, uh, really enjoyed watching that match. Uh, then on a Sunday, I watched uh, Rochdale against Spurs. Uh, Dan O'Hagan and Efren Okoku on the commentating. And uh, a great game, actually. I was surprised by this one. But, um, but rather than, than let the viewers savor the post-match atmosphere from the stadium, I mean, you mean like, like NBC does or ESPN does, where they, they've got a few minutes of the fans celebrating and the players congratulating each other and you mean just the emotions. Within one second after that final whistle, Fox cuts to their in-house uh, studio analyst, which is probably Warren Barton and Stu Holden, to get their analysis of it. I, I don't want to hear their analysis of it. I want to see and feel and, and experience the atmosphere at the stadium. Yeah, that, that's, just, that's just me. Watched uh, Mönchengladbach against uh, Dortmund. Uh, the only really kind of uh, revelation on this one was that uh, it was not really a revelation, but only observation was that uh, uh, Thorgan uh, Hazard is not uh, uh, Eden Hazard by any means. Um, Dan Kartik, I watched the best match of the entire weekend, in my opinion. I was, I love this one. This was uh, Real Betis against Real Madrid. Oh my gosh, I, th- I think I found my, uh, my La Liga team, this Real Betis team, even though they lost, I think it was 4 2. Um, play five three. Five three. Oh my god. That's right. It was eight goals. That's right. But but they play such a beautiful brand of football. It's really pleasant to watch. And and I think Sidlow at halftime, I think Real Betis were up two nil or something like that. Sidlow said that they'll probably go on to lose this game four two or something like that. But they're just a, a joy to watch. Um good entertaining football, end to end action. And Real Madrid coming back. You know uh, what the they way. remind me of, Real Betis? And, and I watched a little bit of this match, and I've seen them bits and pieces. Actually, I've seen a fair amount of them this season. They remind me of Swansea the year Swansea came into the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, yeah, Rogers. Under, yeah, Rogers or, or, or even Laudrup. Um, just a really yeah. a, t- a team that you can really feel good about watching. Even if they lose, they're playing a good brand of football. Um, yeah, fantastic game. Now, on Monday, this is one of the most interesting games I've seen in a long time. And this was the one I watched instead of watching the Wigan-Man City FA Cup game. And that was Eintracht Frankfurt against uh, RB Leipzig. This one uh, was the first match. I don't know. I think it's, I'm not sure if it's the first match ever, but one of the first matches in the Bundesliga to be played on a Monday. Which, if you watch the Premier League or you watch uh, La Liga, Serie A, Ligue 1, you go down the list. I mean, Monday games are just uh, a matter of fact. It's just uh, another game. That doesn't mean we like them, but yeah, it's just become a matter of reality in those leagues. Now, the Bundesliga, it's a different story. There was huge protests. I mean, there were banners. There were... um, the, the first five minutes of the games uh, of the game was delayed. Not only were there banners, but the uh, the fans um, emptied out of the kind of the standing section and stood all the way li- uh, along the touchline, unfolding this massive banner that went from almost one side of the pitch to the other. There were jeers, boos, and whistles for almost the entire ninety minutes, I, and that's not even the, the start of it. So at the beginning of the second half. They must have thrown about a thousand um, tennis balls on the pitch. They had streamers. They really tried to shut this game down, if not shut it down, but at least make it a huge statement. And they did. Um, so I don't know if uh, the Bundesliga are going to uh, keep on playing Monday games, uh, but based on this, I mean, the fan reaction to this was was incredible. I I just don't see it happening in the Bundesliga. 
So a couple of points on this one, Eintracht supporters are particularly intense, right? They have, if you talk to people who know German football, they'll say Eintracht have beyond the really huge clubs, right? Bayern, Borussia Dortmund, and uh, Schalke, those three have probably the, the most intense group of large, large most intense, large uh, group of supporters. I mean, some poly clubs like that we think about, but they're not as big. Uh, so that's one. Two, the German league, for better or worse, and I, I hear a lot of snickers from people I talk to who are around the, quote, business of football about how the German league, they'll never progress because supporters have too much influence. Community or, This community-oriented uh, moniker of clubs is too, uh, is too uh, built into German football, the German football mentality. As someone who ears towards kind of that direction and would like to see something like that here in the United States and... Uh, in fact, I had a great conversation with Robert Palmer, the owner of the Jacksonville Armada, uh, last week. And the Bundesliga is his model in his mind for so much of uh, how how clubs he feels should be run. Um, I, I have a lot of sentiment for it. But, yeah, it does, it does hold the Bundesliga back from a business perspective. But if you're a supporter of one of these clubs um, – you know, can you blame them? Uh, look, they, we saw last season when RB Leipzig, which is a anomaly in German football, right? In terms of their, their ownership structure, made it to the Premier League. The, the kind of protests that you saw from Borussia Dortmund fans, among others. Uh, it is a league where the supporters and community still control, um, not only control the narrative in the media, but still control a significant amount of the purse strings, unlike in any other league, uh, major league in Europe. So that's, uh, I think that's kind of refreshing, but will it hold the Bundesliga back as a television product, as a commercial property? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt it's already doing that. The funny thing about this match, though, Kartik, was that it started at 2.30 Eastern time on Monday. I was planning on watching the Wigan Man City game at 2.45 uh, Eastern time. Um, Watching the first five or ten minutes of this game, I was hooked. I, this was one of the best first halves, uh, most entertaining first halves I've seen in such a long time. I mean, a very physical uh, game, lots of goals. Um, I mean, I, and all, all of the incidents happening off the pitch with the fans protesting. I, I just could not turn it off and ended up watching the entire game and said, I mean, just forget about the Wigan Man City really game. It kind of helped that they had yeah. uh, that are entertaining. And I, I, I think... In the in um, the case of Eintracht, it's uh, it's a team that uh, I've enjoyed watching. I think uh, Kovic, their their manager, uh, has just imparted a style of football that uh, is is creative and open and entertaining, but at the same time is feisty and physical. I don't know h- how to explain that, but that's the way Frankfurt has played all season. Yeah, yeah, and both teams fighting for Champions League spots too. So it's very, very competitive. Uh, I really enjoyed that one. Now, I went from that one, I, of course, I watched the Champions League matches. I, I won't go into those in any, any detail. But I went from that one on Monday to watching on Tuesday, I think it was, the Colorado against Toronto FC uh, CONCACAF Champions League game, uh, the first uh, game involving Major League Soccer teams in that competition. And uh, this one was streamed on uh, Go90. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit, but uh, what a contrast! Though I watched, a f- I could only watch really a few minutes of this game. Uh, it was a really hard watch. Um, there's no atmosphere in the stadium. Uh, it was minus 13 degrees, and uh, I mean, I, I don't blame there being much atmosphere in the stadium. I mean, who would want to go out to watch a game uh, like that in those conditions? So many empty seats. Uh, the commentators were poor, and 
with that temperature that the football wasn't it that was good. It was actually either. remarkable, though, Chris. Sorry to cut you off, that there were as many fans. It's the observation that many people have made since that there were as many fans as there were yeah, twenty six hundred or something, and and a lot of them were Toronto fans. Really, <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, it was just. Uh, I mean, after about maybe maybe five minutes, I was like, okay, this is this is unwatchable, and, and I just moved on. But uh, but yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, that's true. I'm surprised there were that many fans watching it. But that, but that's the thing, though, too. TV viewership, well, it's, it's not on TV, but uh, streaming viewership, you know I mean, it's not the best. I don't know. To me, CONCACAF Champions League does not excite me at all. Uh, maybe this season will be a little bit different. I'll, I'll give it a chance. I'll give it another chance, too, definitely. But uh, it is what it is for now. Yeah, I, I think it'll, it'll only emerge as a television property when a club from someplace other than Mexico wins it, right? Um, yeah, or at least an entertaining final, you mean, a Chivas against a Toronto FC final that's, you mean, I mean, I mean that, that's watchable and, I mean, even if Chivas wins on penalty kicks in the final or something like that. So something that's really going to, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not Toronto FC, maybe it's, I don't know. That's the thing, I mean, Colorado's not even a good te- that, that good of a teammate. Yeah, well, here's part of the problem because MLS plays on a different calendar. So the teams that qualify for the Champions League from MLS or the teams that were good, um, they, they, it's based on qualification. Now, the Canadian uh, representative is different because they come from uh, the neutralized uh, Canadian championship that winds down uh, before the start of this Champions League season. But the MLS representatives, or I should say the U.S. representatives, the, the uh, four teams from the United States that are in CONCACAF Champions League are based on the previous year. So Colorado was in and Dallas are in based on 2016 performances. Uh, now, Toronto was based in on winning the Canadian Cup in 2017. So um, they're an exception, or the, the, the Canadian teams in MLS are exceptions. Uh it's, it's, again, a problem of, of, of calendar, but um, Major League Soccer has generally not had their strongest teams in the CONCACAF Champions League. This year will be an exception, and next season will be an exception because of Toronto qualifying, assuming Toronto wins the Canadian Cup, uh, qualifying based on uh, that. But for the U.S.-based teams, this is part of why it's been difficult. Look, I, I'm not trying to, uh, to, to, to to stand up too much for M- MLS. You know, you can't say with some people, you can't say anything critical of MLS. Then you're uh, uh, there's some sort of uh, you know, subversive. Yeah. Uh, or if with uh, uh, conversely with another set of people in the United States, if you say one thing defending MLS and defending um, why MLS's results aren't quite what it is or, or why the level of play may not be what, what you think it should be because of travel or because of heat, then you're, you know, you, you're, you're, you're a shill. <laughs> I'm going to say this right now. I, mean, I don't think it is fair to judge Major League Soccer on the CONCACAF Champions League largely because of that qualification situation and because it's a league that has an inf- uh, in a model of enforced parity. Generally, the teams that are very good that qualify for CONCACAF Champions League a year and a half out uh, aren't the best teams in the league the next season playing into the that particular edition of the Champions League. So right. um, yeah. I, I, it may sound like a, a manufactured excuse, but I, I stick up for MLS on that because mm-hmm. there's no reason Colorado should be in this, this competition. They were one of the worst teams in the league last season. So having them in is a bit embarrassing, quite frankly. Yeah, something has to change there. Um, and, yeah. and we won't go into the calendar debate right now, but um, but that's one possible solution uh, to this. Uh, 
All right, Kartik, we have a new sponsor of the World Soccer Talk podcast um, that I'm excited to share with you. And that's a company called Away Days, which is a small and independent clothing brand based out of Boston. Away Days creates unique, beautifully designed soccer t-shirts. Now, one of their most intriguing products is called Mystery Kits. For $25, you pick your jersey size, and then you receive a mystery one. All of these uh, jerseys are official club jerseys from around the world. Uh, they could be a few years old, uh, but they are all 100% new and authentic. Away Days only features unique teams from different countries. So, for example, if you're an Arsenal supporter, you wouldn't want a Spurs jersey. But you probably wouldn't mind a Swedish club's jersey uh, of a club. That may maybe you don't even know who they are, but it's just a beautifully designed shirt. Now, some customers have used this uh, to start following teams they've never heard of before, and it helps them learn about how the game is played in other smaller countries and leagues from around the world. It's a cheap way to get some uh, new jerseys, and it's a way to get jerseys of teams you wouldn't normally uh, be able to get from big websites or stores. And for World Soccer Talk podcast listeners, you get a special 15% discount on the entire site. So just go to awaydaysfootball.com and enter promo code WORLDSOCCER at the checkout. Again, just go to awaydaysfootball.com, check out what they have there, There's some great merchandise, and then enter promo code WORLDSOCCER for a 15% discount. Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, so Fox finally announced their uh, present uh, their their uh, schedule. Uh, David Deal in a press release this week for Russia 2018. There are 38 matches on network television on Fox over the air. Unbelievable commitment from uh, the Fox network. Uh, I have to give give uh, them props. Hats off uh, at this point. Uh, did not expect that. 38 matches. That's more than. That's about four times as many matches as we've seen uh, uh, for uh, in another publication. I wrote it up as three times, but I realize it's four times as many matches as we saw in either 2010 or 2014 on ABC over the air for um, uh, for a World Cup. Just fantastic commitment. The other 26 matches will all be on FS1. The good news for listeners out there, no FS2 broadcasts. It doesn't bother me. Because I get FS2, but I know so many people, including my office. I, I we learned uh, uh, yesterday as we were trying to shuffle and get the, uh, uh, or sorry, it wasn't that. It was on Tuesday when we were trying to shuffle and get the Bayern game on. <laughs> we don't get FS2, which was kind of embarrassing, uh, considering the office I, I work in is is a, a soccer oriented office. So um, we 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 had to have both TVs on FS1 for Chelsea and Real Madrid, which was a little um, uh, disappointing, but. So many people don't get FS2 is the point. Yeah, it's good news, uh, absolutely, for soccer fans in the United States. Originally, Fox, when they made the announcements back in, I think it was October, in, in the fall, they said that uh, more than, I think, 50% of the games would be on Big Fox. Uh, it ends up being about 59%, actually, exactly 59% of the games will be on Big Fox. So so good news there in terms of making sure that uh, it's accessi uh, as accessible as possible. A couple of the observations, Kartik. So uh, on one of the days, which I think is on one of the Sundays, June 17th, there's two major games going on that day, and that's Germany against Mexico and then Brazil against Switzerland. Now, you would imagine that these games would be on uh, the Big Fox, but both of those games are on FS1. I did some research, and I think the reason that that is so is because of uh, the US Open is being played that uh, weekend, uh, which I believe is on Fox, right, Kartik? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, it is on, on Fox. So that's the reason why that uh, those games, which would have been ideal for Fox, I mean, Germany against Mexico is going to be massive, will be on FS1 and uh, as well as that Brazil-Switzerland game. Now, moving on, uh, Turner Sports is closing in on a deal to hire Steve Nash as a soccer analyst for Turner Sports' uh, coverage of the Champions League, which will begin in uh, the summer, in 2018, in August. Uh, Kartik, what are your thoughts on this one? I like it, actually. Uh, believe it or not, Steve Nash is very knowledgeable about this sport, uh, has been a lifelong Spurs supporter. I know that's going to bother everybody who's pro-Arsenal out there, but uh, he, he's obviously Canadian and a great basketball star, so he has some crossover cred. He attempted to play for Cosmos B a couple of years ago in NPSL, uh, the, the New York Cosmos B team that uh, plays in NPSL. Uh, there were contractual reasons he couldn't, but uh, he, his brother was a Canadian international, very good player, Martin Nash, that I watched and, and commentated on a number of times, called games actually back in the day when he played for the Whitecaps, uh, called the number of games involving him. So uh, I think it's a good hire because he knows the sport and he's been a great ambassador for this sport. He's been a guy who's helped to, to develop uh, cred uh, for soccer among mainstream sporting audiences. In his interviews, even as a basketball star, as his career wound down, he would always talk about how he had wished he had played uh, soccer at a higher level and made some very intelligent commentary about the sport. So I think it's good. I still want to see who else Fox hires, though. Uh, excuse me. Who else Turner hires uh, to surround him? I know there's the obvious skepticism that they're an NBA-driven sports division, and this is an NBA star. But um, I, I think it'll probably be okay. And I, and I have to be honest with you, this is going to now get me in trouble with one of those two factions I mentioned a minute ago. His his depth of knowledge and understanding of the sport at a global scale is better than most North American co uh, commentators who played soccer. So uh, I think you'll probably do a better job than a lot of the former U.S. men's national team players we have seen uh, try and commentate on European football. Yeah, it's a smart move from Turner Sports in terms of taking someone and having him be a crossover. So taking him and saying, okay, Steve Nash is now doing Champions League soccer. Okay, basketball fans, pay attention to Steve because he's going to be talking about the game. My, my two concerns are, one is hoping that they don't dumb down the analysis, kind of doing a uh, football versus football, kind of how Fox used to do it with the NFL, trying to bring in the NFL audience and having NFL people on Champions League uh, final, I think it was. Um, and the second thing is, is that even though I know Steve Nash knows soccer, is a huge soccer fan, uh, often plays the game in charity events, comes from a family that uh, are soccer soccer players, and uh, obviously loves the game and has probably a lot of knowledge about this game. I haven't seen him on television. I haven't seen how he is. Uh, giving kind of uh, analysis and and that's something I mean, I'll give him it all the benefit of a doubt hope hoping that he can do a good job there but uh, I haven't seen it so I, I don't know so we'll have to wait and see on that one a couple uh, comments on number one so uh, I would observe that unlike the football versus football comparisons that Fox has tried to push uh, because Fox as a network appeals to a different type of audience than Turner uh, Fox uh, football there are very few similarities in American football and 
the football we love. And the audience, the demographic audiences are different also. Uh, with basketball, the audiences are more similar in terms of the, their, where, where, they, where they are located in the country, kind of the, their cultural appreciations. And the sports are more similar. In fact, I was just having a conversation last night with, uh, with someone about how uh, similar Pochettino's um, style of football and the way Spurs play, you know, Tottenham plays, Spurs play, uh, is toward some of the college basketball teams we've seen through the years and how some of the concepts are entirely similar. You can't have that comparison with American football because the game is completely different. I'd also mention Dalen Koff, who, of course, is a prominent player uh, 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 prominent figure on NWSL coverage. He's a former basketball player who does commentary for ESPN and college basketball and is in their studio often uh, and does fine with both sports because I think both sports are similar. Unlike American football, I, I, it's completely different, uh, the American football. And that's, again, that's a Fox thing. And thankfully, Turner doesn't have any American football rights, so we're not going to have to deal with that. All right, Kartik, let's move on to uh, the next uh, news item. Yeah, as we teased in the last segment, Go 90s broadcasting the CONCACAF Champions League games in English in the United States this year. And uh, uh, you can have that the Go 90 app. It's not, uh, it's not the, the most reliable thing, but it's free and it's accessible. So uh, that's kind of the situation. And that tells you where the CONCACAF Champions League is as a television property after being on Fox for years. Yeah, it, it's free. And actually, I, when I watched it the other night, uh, I had no problems um, with reliability. I, I know in the past, uh, I mean, I think all apps have at some point, but it seems to be uh, stable. And uh, also, I believe the games will be on the website also, the Go90 website. And uh, on the English side is Go90. On the Spanish side, uh, Univision Deportes has the rights. So uh, many of those games will be in Spanish on Univision Deportes and um, some of them in uh, univisiondeportes.com. Now, iGoal, which is a new streaming soccer service, uh, has added a Apple iOS app. So now the, the new soccer streaming service is available on both the Android and iOS uh, platforms and devices for your mobile phones and tablets, etc. Um, on the both the Android and the Apple iOS app, so you can just search for iGoal. I think it comes up as iGoal Live. Uh, you can cast those games then to your television set. So that's everything from Bean Sports, uh, Gold TV, um, TYC Sports, etc. So, so definitely check that out. Two women's national team games were announced this week. Uh, friendlies against Mexico in April. One of the games will be on FS1. The other will be on Big Fox. Yeah, and, and I tweeted something about this too, Kartik. I said, uh, presumably it's on Big Fox because that Fox wants to use this as an opportunity to promote the men's World Cup coverage this summer, uh, having the game on, on Big Fox and kind of the, the mostly women's soccer audience, even just, just making sure that they know that uh, the, US women's, uh, the U.S. men's um, World Cup will be on this summer. And uh, I think Rob Stone tweeted me back saying, like, you, I, I, kind of inferring that uh, you do know that uh, uh, Fox has the rights to the uh, the Women's World Cup. And I was like, yeah, I, I know that. But that's not until France 2019, the summer. Uh, to me, it's just an opportunity for, yes, to promote the women's game and show women's games on Big Fox. But I'm sure Fox is thinking, okay, this is a great opportunity to remind people. Okay, watch. What, watch what are they going to do? Because I hate to bring this up. But what are they going to do in 2019 when the U.S. Uh, look? They got away with it in 2015, but 2019, the, the general consensus is unless there's some serious changes or, or something we don't see happening, the U.S. is not going to win that World Cup. Uh, 
it seems like all of their women's soccer coverage is predicated entirely on the United States being the do- the quote dominant force in women's uh, football. So, um, you know, even the fact that 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 Rob Stone responded to you that it kind of bothers me. Yeah, I think uh, I mean, you would hope that they'd learn this summer uh, in regards with the U.S. not being in the World Cup to to be more fair and impartial and provide analysis and coverage about uh, all the other teams and all the interesting stories. Um, but I'm sure once it becomes closer to 2019 and, and uh, the Women's World Cup coming up, um, they'll go back into the USA mode and just uh, rah-rah USA and um, – it could come yeah. back to haunt them, especially if the U.S. doesn't make it to, all the way to the final. Uh, as it looks right right now in terms of uh, some of these other countries, France and England, just as two as two examples of countries that are uh, progressing at a much faster pace. Now, moving on, Kartik, Sling TV has announced that they are now up to 2.2 million subscribers, making it the largest internet-based live TV service. So Sling TV uh, continues to, to grow and grow. Now, over to Major League Soccer, Kartik, a couple of uh, key hires uh, announced this week. Yeah, Kevin Egan will be the Atlanta United commentator for 2018, returning after doing uh, five games last season. Alan Green, we talked about on a previous podcast, no longer uh, with with the organization. And uh, he will partner with Dan Gargan, former player that uh, that I covered, uh, both in MLS and, and in uh, NASL. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Max Bredos is joining LAFC in a surprise move, a return to the soccer mic for Max. We've, we've seen him do studio uh, programming for ESPN, but uh, uh, you're going to hear, yes, an awful lot because LAFC is going to be pretty good also. So look forward to that. I'm excited about that personally, except the problem is if you're in Southern California, you have to pay the YouTube uh, subscription costs to listen to Max Bredos. That's uh, obviously a subject we've uh, talked about previously, that, that right. YouTube deal that LAFC signed. Yeah, 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 YouTube TV. In uh, the last piece of news for this week is that uh, Fox Sports has announced some details about uh, some do- new soccer documentaries they're planning on uh, broadcasting this summer uh, to promote the World Cup, but also promote its soccer coverage. So the first one is called uh, Nosa Chape, which is a film from the guys who created uh, The Two Escobars, which is a fantastic uh, documentary. And this story is about the Brazilian uh, soccer club uh, Chapecoense, the tragic uh, 2016 plane crash in Colombia. The film is part of the official uh, features lineup at the South by Southwest Film Festival. And it's the third documentary in Fox Sports' film uh, series called Magnify. Now, the other piece of news is that... uh, Fox is going to be launching a new series called Phenoms, and it's going to be chronicling the journey of the next generation of hopeful World Cup stars on their quest to represent their countries this summer. So both of them sound interesting. I'll definitely watch them. Um, The one on uh, Nosa Chape uh, sounds particularly interesting and probably a really sad story, but I'm I'm sure. But, uh, But yeah, something to keep an eye out for. Yeah, worth noting, uh, just for those listeners who may not know this, Nat Geo, who are doing the documentaries, producing the documentaries for Fox, part of the sale of assets to Disney that will be closed at some point, probably after the World Cup. But uh, we'll see what Fox does for 2022 in terms of documentaries, because the documentary division that they were using would now be in the hands of ESPN, actually, going forward. Moving on to TV ratings, uh, we don't have all the numbers in yet, but uh, of the ones that we have thus far, uh, some, some poor FA Cup numbers. Uh, Huddersfield against Man United on FS2 
on Saturday. Uh, it's FS2, so those numbers are usually always poor. Uh, that one had uh, 142,000 people watching that one. And with Manchester United being one of the most watched or most popular teams, soccer teams in the United States by far, uh, definitely on, on the English-speaking side, uh, 142,000 people uh, is a sad indication of kind of where the FA Cup sat and also FS2. Um, Rochdale against Spurs on FS1 on the Sunday, that one had uh, 268,000 viewers. Uh, so more than 100,000 viewers, more than the, the game on FS2. It's probably an FS2 thing, really. Uh, and then lastly, uh, some big numbers out of Mexico, or out of Liga MX uh, in the United States. And we had 1.4 million people watch the uh, Tigres against the uh, America game on February 10th. And then 1.3 million for Chivas against uh, Santos Laguna, also on February 10th. Any uh, thoughts on that, Kartik? It just reinforces how poor ratings are general for uh, F- things for broadcasts on FS1 and FS2. So if you look at F- FA Cup matches and a corresponding Premier League match, same time slot on uh, NBC. Now, obviously, there's some variables because of the clubs being different. But generally, that Sunday... Uh, 11 a.m. Eastern time time slot has something, some, some high profile club in this case, it was Spurs. There is a huge drop off and it's, it, it just doesn't apply to the, the Premier League and English football. Uh, if you look at sports in general, uh, college basketball, which I follow, there's a huge drop off. If a, if a big 10 uh, game is on FS one, instead of being on ESPN or a big 12 game, it, it's uh, it's pretty striking. The only place where, where Fox uh, does well ratings wise is in is in uh, American football related properties. They just uh, struggle with everything else, which is a concern I have about the World Cup. But maybe that's something we'll talk more about as we get closer to the summer. Yeah, and also they got some stiff competition from uh, from Telemundo too. So it's not just uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so moving on to listener mailbag, and uh, we got a review on this uh, on iTunes this week for this podcast from someone named Away Goals Matter. So. Uh, this uh, reads, uh, this has become one of my staple soccer podcasts because it provides the coverage of the game in the US, which no one else does. The pod covers TV and streaming rights updates, a rundown of how the games are covered, as well as numerous other topics associated with watching the game. So I think it's a five-star review from Away Goals Matter, and uh, we appreciate uh, the feedback. That's, that's, that's great stuff. If you have any questions, feedback, comments, uh, anything you'd like us to read out on air in regards to soccer media or a question that it's always been kind of burning, a burning question that you've always had, you can email us at web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can tweet us at worldsoccertalk or message us on Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. And of course, too, on the comments section at uh, worldsoccertalk.com. Nakartik, uh, where can listeners find you on the internet uh, if they want to read up on uh, your latest uh, analysis or uh, insight? WorldSoccerTalk.com, obviously, and KKFLA737 on on Twitter. I've also been writing recently uh, all about lower division soccer in the U.S., so if you're not interested in that, don't bother, but at SockTakes.com. Yeah, and you can find me at World Soccer Talk. Uh, I've got a story I'm writing right now that uh, by the time you listen to this podcast, you'll be able to find out on worldsoccertalk.com. And that's a story about the latest news about the FA Cup TV rights in the United States. And definitely an interesting uh, turn of events is happening right now. So so check that out at worldsoccertalk.com. 
So thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media. And uh, like Away Goals Matter, you can give us a review on iTunes. We'd greatly appreciate it. And Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 